Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Lashuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. As a reminder, on Thursdays, it is just me talking about something in the health or fitness or medical realm, maybe something that has to do with business, maybe a previous conversation I had with a guest that I want to expand on, a question from the audience, something of that nature, but it's just a brief conversation of me talking about something in the fitness and health realm. And today it's going to be about working your core, working your ab muscles. That is a question that everybody wants to know, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you're a general population, whether you're a physician, everyone wants to know the secrets and the tricks to working your core. It's like the, it's like a golf tip, right? Everyone's got one and uh, none of them seem to work that great for, for anybody else, but they, they claim that they have some, uh, some, some special tip here. Well, concerning your core, first let's you know talk a little bit specific and then we'll just dial it back down to more high level easier stuff but there there are local and global core muscles uh, you know let's say somebody in the personal trainer or health world right so the the difference is you know the the global muscles more of the like sort of the diaphragm and the pelvic floor muscles things of that nature that you don't necessarily associate with your abdominals but they all are part of your core even your lower back and muscles, uh, let's say, in your hip flexors, right? Then we have more of the local muscles, which are you know, transverse abdominis, internal, external obliques, rectus abdominis, things like that. So you might hear those words thrown around. Basically, just think of, yeah, I have the, the traditional core muscles that I think about when I look at somebody's uh, six-pack. And then I have other core muscles that are assisting and associated with the core. They can be deeper in, right? Our body's muscles are like an onion. They can be layers in. Or maybe they can just be a little bit lower or higher than you think your actual core is when, when somebody in the fitness and health industry talks about core. But let's, let's get into what people typically want, where they are misguided, and how I could potentially break this down easily for you if you're somebody who wants to strengthen your core, whether it's if you're somebody who wants to strengthen your core, whether it's from a, a visual vanity perspective or just overall for, let's say, sports performance and things of that nature. N- number one, from a vanity perspective, you're... Abs are made in the kitchen, not in the weight room. Yes, of course, you have to strengthen your abs and you have to use the proper weight room exercises and techniques in order for those muscles to get stronger. But ultimately, in most cases, you're going to have to be in some sort of caloric deficit if you're not, let's say, at the prime of your fitness life, if you're not in your early 20s or you're not on uh, anabolic steroids, most likely it's going to be way easier for you to show your abs visually if you're just talking about the aesthetics, if you're in a caloric deficit, as opposed to you eating more, okay? And that's not for everybody. It also depends on your genetics and your body type and how fast you can build muscle and all of those things, but most likely, okay? Now, I'm not going to speak to that. That's not my area of expertise. I'm not a uh, licensed dietitian nutritionist. I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not somebody who I, I don't know uh, the foods you're allergic to, the foods you like, the foods you don't like. I don't know your day-to-day. I'm not talking to somebody specifically. I'm just saying from gen- general perspective, if you're not in the absolute prime of your life, if you're not somebody who puts on muscle easily, aesthetically speaking, it's probably easier for you to be building ab muscles from a visual perspective if you're in a caloric deficit. That's the first thing. 
Now, somebody out there is going to be saying, well, hey, Steve, if I'm in a caloric deficit, how am I supposed to build muscle? I'm not getting enough protein in. Well, I didn't say don't get enough protein in. You can cut from other places, right? We have three macronutrients. You cut from your fats. You cut from your carbohydrates. Now, this, again, because it's so generalized, because I don't, I'm not talking to somebody, it's hard to give this information. But so let me break this down into two or three different groups so I can give more information on, on the nutrition end. Although I don't really want to talk about nutrition, I'm going to give some basics here, and then, and then we'll just get over the nutrition part, start talking more about the weight room part here. But if you're somebody who's, you know, let's say 40, 50 pounds overweight, you're borderline obese, you have a, you have a long way to go before those abs are ever going to show. So for you, you have to be in a caloric deficit. You have to lose that weight first. That's the primary objective. Getting the protein intake to build that muscle over time will also be important, but that's not where you're at right now in your journey. Uh, for somebody who's, let's say, the exact antithesis of that, you're opposite. You're maybe you're really, really skinny. Maybe you're younger and you're skinny. You have a flat stomach, but you have no muscle. Well, for you, you know, we know that muscle synthesis and protein, you, you, it, there's like a light switch. That's how it works. You need a certain amount to turn that on, and over time. That amount is is more than what most people are typically used to eating. So for a female, they typically recommend around 0.7 grams. For a male, around one gram per pound of body weight. So to give you an example, if I weighed 120 pounds and I was a female and my goal was to get abs, I would probably need somewhere around 95 grams of protein a day in some sort of consistent amount of time to start really building that musculature. And if I was a male and I weighed 160 pounds, I would need about 160 grams of protein a day to start really building, having that protein muscle synthesis here go. But um, uh, again, that, that you might, if you're somebody who's overweight, your first goal isn't the muscle building typically right away, right? If you're overweight and you're, and you have a lot of, let's say belly fat and your overall goal, your primary goal, your end goal here is to see abs. It's not about building up the musculature first. It's about losing the weight and then building up the musculature. You have to go in one order. You can't, you can't be, a, you can't be a jack of all trades. You have to do the one thing first, you have to lose the weight first, and then you have to build the muscle. If you're somebody else who's already skinny and ready for that, then you can go directly into that focusing on the, the muscle protein synthesis and, and, and igniting that light switch by having that amount of protein. And if you are somebody who is in that camp, you're going to have to have protein in every meal because it's really it's not difficult to reach that amount of protein intake in a day. It's only difficult if you have one meal that doesn't have protein. Let me sort of walk you through that process. You wake up in the morning and you have, let's say, an, an omelet with two whole eggs and an egg white and some other stuff right there. You're already at two whole eggs, have seven grams each. That's 14. An egg white has another five, four or five. Let's just round it up to 20 because you have a little bit of, you know, let's say ham and something else in there. We'll say you get 25 grams of protein. And then you have a protein bar three hours later that has another 25 grams of protein. You're already at 50 grams. Then you have a can of tuna at lunch that has 30, that has 30 grams. So now I'm at 85 grams. Then I, then I have a, some, so then I have a bunch of uh, almonds and I snack on some other sort of meat later on in the day, some beef jerky and almonds later on in the day. And I get another 25 in. Now I'm at, you know, whatever, 105. And then I have a, uh, a dinner that has 30 grams of protein and now I'm at 135 and I have a small protein shake at night that has 25, I'm at 160, right? So you can see where I'm going here. Yet If you missed one meal, you're screwed. There's no way you're going to play catch up. You're going to be putting too much protein in your body at one time. Your body's not going to be able to handle it. But as long as you have you know, around that 20 grams of protein in each meal, 20 to 25 to 30, depending upon your weight, you're going to be fine. Now, some people have way more. Some people have 40 grams of protein. It depends on you, how much you weigh, your overall goals, where you are in your lifting journey. You have to know your body. There's a lot of specifics that go into that. So I'm not, I don't want to tell somebody exactly what to do. 
because I'm just giving generalities here. But from as far as the nutrition stuff, which I'm sort of going to cap off here and get more into the weight weight room stuff and the lifting stuff and the specifics on ab exercises, as far as the nutrition stuff is concerned, we just have to know there's two main factors when, when your abs are made in the kitchen, rather. Number one, you're probably going to have to be in a caloric deficit for some period of time to make sure that you don't have the amount of body fat that one would have. This this the visceral body fat so that you can't see your abdominal muscles and number two you're going to have to have enough protein to have that muscle protein synthesis built up so that you can see the abs because you actually have built the proper musculature for the abs that doesn't always have to be done at the same time sometimes you have to lose weight first before you start that let's go to my more of my area of expertise there are really three ways in which you should break your ab exercises down and i'll explain each one uh, the first is holds and stabilization movements. So something like a plank or something like a boat. So in plank and boat, you're in two different positions. In the fitness world, we call that one supine and one prone. Prone, my, my eyes are facing the ground. and supine, I'm flat on my back. So you're more in a supine position when you're in boat. If you're not familiar with the movement of boat, it's more of a like a Pilates floor movement or a yoga movement where I'm sitting on my sits bones like up near my butt, the top of my butt. And I'm in what looks like a V position holding my body up. Now, the further I go down, right, the, the more distance I create from my knees to my chest, the more flat I become, the harder that is to hold up. Think of a leg lift. If you're flat on your back and you're just lifting your legs in the air six inches, that's really difficult to do for most people. So that's a hold type movement. Then you have your planks, which is another hold type movement where you're in the other direction right now. Another hold type movement where you're in the other direction right now where you're prone. And there's a million different ways to do plank. And that's what I want to add into this conversation. And you're going to hear me repeat this over and over. And all of these movements, it's really key that you're not just pushing for time, right? Time under tension, that is a great thing, but that you're also creating other variables to challenge your muscles. So for example, when you're doing boat, sometimes you can move with it. Sometimes you can just hold boat. Sometimes you can be holding a weight with boat. Sometimes you can tap one leg down and then bring it back up when you're in plank. Sometimes you can be in forearm plank. Sometimes you can be in top plank with your arms extended, palms down. Sometimes you can move uh, a foot into the air so that you're only on three appendages instead of four. Sometimes you can jump your feet in and out in that plank position. Sometimes you can shoulder tap, move one hand to one shoulder, one hand to the other shoulder to challenge you more, right? There's always ways to make these things more difficult, but hold movements are very important for overall strength. Not, not it, the, the primary reason why, in my opinion, for, for, these, for these movements is because you can get a longer time under tension for your muscles than you can a lot of these other movements. So think about those hold movements, both from a prone standpoint, doing different versions of plank, and from a supine standpoint, doing different versions of boat, or leg lifts. Now, let's talk about rotations. We want to work those internal external obliques. We have to be able to rotate. There are different ways to go about rotating. You can keep your you know, thoracic spine moving, which is that mid-body moving, and keeping your hips stable. That's usually the really best way to target those obliques. But you could also move all in one in, in conjunction with, with everything moving and still work your obliques. People, Most people know the Russian twists, a few different ways to do them. Uh, you can do cable-related rotations. I'm a big a proponent when you're doing cable rotations to keep that lower body stable. Have a wider, more athletic stance. Press wide out on your feet as if you were standing on a piece of paper. You're trying to rip that paper in half through the middle. I'm pressing wide out on my feet. 
my I'm in an athletic stance, like I'm trying to catch a ground ball, or that I'm I'm slightly leaned forward with my upper body, and then I'm just rotating through that mid spine, that thoracic spine. I'm not letting my knees and hips move. I'm keeping them stable. That's really going to target those obliques. And then we have sort of quicker um, crunch type movements, whether that is you flat on your back, uh, reaching up towards your toes. Let's say you're on, you're flat on your back. Your body's in an L. Your feet are in the air. You're reaching up towards your toes. Or just, you know, sort of your traditional crunch movements. I will say it's not great for everybody, depending upon your age. Do you want to be doing all this stuff? Is it a lot of pressure on your cervical column? Yes, it could be. So I'm not going to tell everybody that they should do it. You should meet with a certified personal trainer to see where you're at in your fitness journey before you do these. But there are other ways to do these sort of quicker crunch type movements rather than just be so neck heavy and neck centric. I'm not going to go down all of those ways. This is just three of the, I would call them more basic profile of movement types. You want to have hold movements, you want to have the rotational movements, and you want to have the quicker twitch movements with quicker twitch movements with quick contractions to build your ab muscles up, okay? Those are three great ways in which to do it. Now let's talk about the sort of misconceptions. People will say like, oh, I just want to target my lower abs or something. It's like, no, that's not how muscles work. You're not going to isolate just your lower or upper abs or just your obliques. When your abs fire, they're all firing together. Now there, there, there is different percentages of which muscles are working harder, of course, d- dependent upon the exercises, there are muscles that are working harder throughout your core, but they're all firing in a sense. And I hate this. I, I hate the term like, oh, I'm just like isolating a muscle. Like you're almost never isolating a muscle. It's impossible to do that. People are like, oh, I'm doing a bicep curl. So I'm isolating a muscle. It's like, no, you're not. You're grabbing the dumbbell. So already your forearms are firing. Your hand is supinated. So already you're working smaller muscles in your shoulder. As you release that, that weight back down, that bicep is lengthening and that tricep is shortening. So you are working your tricep in a sense because it's shortening. It's lengthening and shortening. So like, no, you're never isolating a muscle when you're working out. Your body is all interconnected. It's impossible to isolate. Isolate. So let's let's throw that out the, the door with terminology here for iso- muscle isolation. But uh, I digress. When you're talking about the core... And people will say things like, I just want to work the, the my top, my upper core, my lower core, my outside core. Uh, yeah, I, I, from a layman's perspective, it's fine to use those terms, right? From a visual perspective, that's what it looks like. You have some muscles on top. You have some muscles in the bottom. You have some muscles on the side. But your whole core is always firing together. It's just which part is working harder. And the, that exercise type will decide that and what you're doing. So typically, when you're doing movements where your legs are further away from your body. So let's go ahead and say now I'm... I'm supine, which means I'm flat on my back. I'm laying on the ground and I just lift my feet in the air six inches off the ground because my legs are at this point from like a lever standpoint further away from my body. I have to do more work to lift them up and my lower abdominals are going to be f- facing the brunt of that. Now, what, what is also working is my lower back and we have to watch out that you know people have that natural arch in the lumbar region, which is your lower back when you're flat on your back. And if you have too much arch and your and your core muscles are not strong enough, your lower back muscles are not strong enough, or some of your global stabilizers, your pelvic floor muscles and your hip flexors are not strong enough, you're going to be out of whack. You're going to hurt yourself. You're probably going to hurt your lower back and you're not going to get the work out of your abs that you want. So ultimately, that's why you work with a personal trainer or somebody who knows what they're doing so that you can work all of those core muscles because they're all important, right? The pelvic floor muscles are important. That's why when I do most of my ab exercises, what I'll do is put a bender ball. If you've never seen one of these, it's a small little typically blue or gray ball that they use in, let's say, floor Pilates. You can put it in between your knees and you can squeeze that ball in order to activate pelvic floor muscles as well as your adductors, the inner part of your thighs, 
to help build up other core musculature that's very important for overall strength, right? We have those global core and we have the local. You need to build both of those up ultimately to have a strong core. Now, I've been talking a lot about the core, not from a visual perspective, not the core, not from a visual perspective, right? From a visual perspective, we traction related exercises. It has shown to help from a visual standpoint, let those muscles pop. So again, we're, we're talking about the exercises that could potentially be more deleterious to your cervical column and spine, like your crunches and, and things of that nature. But they, they have shown through studies to be a little bit more effective when you're talking about the visual aesthetics of building your abdominal muscles. But overall, when we're talking about a strong, healthy core and why it's important, obviously from, from an everyday perspective, you're working your core as a secondary or tertiary muscle group in so many different exercises. Take something like uh, using a TRX band, most people know what that is, but you can take a regular band. Just think of a band that you're using to, you know, and you're pulling that band towards your shoulders and you're releasing it, working all your upper back muscles. That band is wrapped around, let's say, your bedpost. As you're doing that exercise and working all your upper back muscles, what you're also doing, and, and you might not notice it subconsciously, is if your feet or if you're just standing facing that bedpost and you're towards your ears, let's say, or towards your shoulders and working those upper back muscles, you're also stabilizing so that your body's not rocking back and forth. Now, if you stand in a staggered stance, that makes things much easier. You don't have to use as much core. But if you're standing in that traditional athletic stance, you're engaging your core so that you're not either pelvic tilting or that you're not moving your hips and swaying forward and backwards as you pull, right? We want to keep most of the body stable and we just want to pull upright, but that means we have to engage the core in order to do that. So you're working your core in so many different ways as a secondary and tertiary muscle in a lot of exercises. But really, in order to see your ab muscles, in order to grow a really strong core, we have to try to, I hate again, I hate this term, isolate, but we have to try to focus on those as the primary muscle group, okay? It's not about isolation, because I hate that term. It's about the, being the primary muscle group. And to make them the primary muscle group, again, think about those three key movement types. I'm not telling you exactly which movements to do, but think about hold movements, Okay, number one, because, because they have really good time under tension. That's important when we want to build strength. Number two, we want to think about rotational movements, good for the obliques, good to work through some of the global core muscles and the local core. We get both there. We do some rotational movements. And then we have the last but not least, some of those quicker contraction type movements, like say, like a crunch and things of that nature. This has been an episode of the Truly Fit Podcast. I hope that gives you some insight into core strengthening. Any specific questions, feel free to reach out to me, social at trulyfit.app. Thanks for listening in, guys. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform. And feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.